I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hello and welcome back to the Prospect Podcast, where we speak to the brightest minds and talk about the ideas that matter in politics, arts and society. I'm Alan Rusbridger, editor at Prospect Magazine, and today I'm really delighted to be joined by three excellent guests, seasoned political journalist and pollster Peter Kellner, Red Box reporter at The Times, Lara Spirit, and Politico podcast host Alva Ray to talk about our new Prime Minister, Liz Trust, and what we can expect from her early days in government. Now, I should say we're recording 1837 on Tuesday, the 6th of September, and the relevance of that is that we've literally just watched the speech of Liz Truss outside Number 10 Downing Street, which was filled with both literal and metaphorical storms. She was talking about riding the storm, and she just about rode the storm before the, the heavens opened, and she managed to get inside number 10 before getting drenched in rain. Maybe, Peter, I'm sure you were watching. What what, what was your verdict on her, her, her cameo performance outside number 10? It's probably not fair, Alan, to judge a new prime minister when they're probably knackered. She's been flown, what, 500 miles north and 500 miles back to be prime minister. But I didn't think it was very good. It was full of, of, of cliches. I, I like having the thought that the Karl Popper test of an interesting statement. An interesting statement is one where a sensible person could reasonably say exactly the opposite. So what were the phrases we got? Issues holding Britain back, helping people get on in life, want to be an aspiration nation, giving people the opportunities they deserve. Uh, we have huge reserves of talent, energy and determination. Is there a politician in the land who would refute or, or deny or say the opposite of any of those statements. Um, so in that particular sense, I didn't think it was an interesting speech. I suppose the one news point is that she talked about her new energy plan this week. I presumably that means Thursday because Parliament doesn't normally doesn't do much on Friday. So it may only be 48 hours from the first major policy statement. That'll be a bigger test. Lara, it certainly wasn't Churchillian, but there was one person in the office who I probably not ought not to name, who was rather impressed by it. Uh, in, in, in just thought, thought it was sort of businesslike. What, what did you make of it? Um, I definitely think that 
it wasn't necessarily the most revelatory uh, of speeches. I think one thing that has been notable about the last few days in comparison to these kind of former transition periods is the fact that quite a lot of information about the future administration has been reported or is in the public domain already. So we already know largely the makeup uh, of the future cabinet. And as of today, we already know largely what we think will be uh, the kind of mainstay of Liz Truss's uh, economic package in response to that uh, energy crisis. So I thought it was uh, interesting given that, I mean, her rhetoric was not particularly uh, different from the many opportunities she's had uh, to show it over the course of a pretty protracted leadership campaign. So I don't think we necessarily got uh, anything new there. But this question of the economy, energy and the NHS as being her kind of main abiding concerns, I think will come to shape the messaging from number 10 over the next few weeks and months, definitely. Alva, who is Liz Truss? I mean, it still seems a surprise to, to see her there standing on, on the doorstep of number 10. And obviously, a lot of people have underestimated her over the years. What is the secret ingredient that you think has landed her the job? So I'm actually probably going to slightly disagree with Peter and Lara in that maybe I just had very low expectations, but I thought that speech was all right. <laughs> and a little bit different to what we've heard from her during the leadership contest. I think those of us who've been covering it all summer have been desperate to hear what she's going to be like when the contest ends and the governing begins. And that was our first glimpse of it. And so I just thought it was interesting that the sort of the low tax rhetoric of the leadership contest has has turned into just sort of optimism about the economy, but without being explicit anymore about the exact policies that she'll bring in to make that happen, which makes it much more sort of electorate friendly. Then her pledges on energy um, and the way she'll deliver that this week. And then showing some understanding of the backlog in the NHS, which is top of voters' priorities, um, but less so the Conservative membership. Um, I was speaking to a pollster earlier today who was saying that, you know, plenty of people don't follow the leadership contests um, or, you know, will have, have had only a passing awareness of it. Really, Liz Truss is only introducing herself to the electorate right now. And they will have seen a quite sort of a business-like statement business person-like statement um, from her on the steps of Downing Street showing that she understands their concerns. And then probably the way she's actually gonna introduce herself is by, is by announcing a several billion pound package to help people with their most pressing worry, which I think will be quite a good introduction and, and probably quite an impressive one given the sort of the stormy seas ahead that you mentioned, Alan. Peter, you, you are um, a pollster. Um, is it right that people haven't yet properly tuned in? I mean, I know that the polls suggest that people have a fairly low expectation of her at the moment, but the blanket coverage that journalists have been giving her has eluded the public in general? I, I half agree, Alan, by which I mean that I think the great majority of voters have a sort of a broad sense of Liz Truss, and that has gotten worse in, over the last six weeks. Her ratings aren't good. But where I would agree with Alves and, and, and your question is that I, I think it's not a very focused sense by many voters. So I think she does have the opportunity over the next few weeks to change public impressions. But I would, if I may make a slightly further point, I would pick up the, the NHS waiting list doctor's appointments. 
Um, and I agree, it was wiser for her to say this because this is a huge public concern. But the test is not what she says now, not even what she does or, or spends in the next few weeks or months. It's whether by the next election, people feel they can now get to the doctor they want, when they want, whether they have to wait a long time for an operation. And so I think in a way it's quite bold of her to put down a marker now, because if the figures don't improve for the NHS, and if people's own subjective experiences aren't clearly better, those words this afternoon will be played back at her in the election campaign. If she gets that right, it'll be a big thing. Lara, what, what's your explanation of how she's suddenly, as it were, risen without trace? I mean, it, it, there must have been a history in her life of, of people underestimating her. And here she is, Prime Minister. She, she's beaten off all competition. What is it in her makeup that explains the, the, the talent that has landed her where she is? Yeah, it's a very interesting question. I mean, we know, especially from the reporting over the last few weeks, that Liz Truss was known to have been a kind of precocious student at Oxford, was known to have been a very politically engaged controversialist. Famously, in 96, uh, she switched from being a Liberal Democrat over to the Conservative Party. But she is, you know, has been a long-standing cabinet minister. I think one of the most remarkable things about this contest is the way in which she was able to portray herself as a kind of insurgent or, or change a candidate when actually she was the most kind of long-standing person running there who has actually a real wealth of experience in the cabinet. So I think that partly explains it. Another real explanation is, of course, the fact that uh, she was seen as loyal to Boris Johnson. We know that that was an issue that played on the minds of members when making their decision that they weren't happy with the way that Boris Johnson was deposed, or indeed many of them with him uh, leaving in the first place. So that was certainly uh, an issue too. And I think Rishi Sunak really stumbled there. And if you speak privately to members of his campaign, they expect I express a great deal of regret about the fact that that became one of the the big issues in in the campaign. Uh, we know uh, with Liz Truss's opening uh, remarks that she wants to um, align herself with Boris Johnson and and with his record. She said today that she thought he'd be a hugely consequential uh, prime minister when history looks back on him. And I do think that that closeness uh, with him, or the perception of it uh, at least, was one of the reasons why I think this leadership campaign uh, it really did become. I think by the end, uh, as as pollsters called it, really a foregone. Uh, conclusion. You'll recall that obviously she only had the support of 41% uh, of MPs. Now going into that membership stage, it didn't look like that at all. So that's the reason why I think that particular question around her relationship to Boris Johnson is a really important one that people definitely, I don't think, should overlook easily. Lara, can I ask that you talked me down to Sunak's camp, and I've been seeing the stories that they thought, you know, he got it wrong at the beginning of the campaign in the TV debates. I think his defeat was baked in by the fact that he resigned as as Chancellor and was seen to stab Boris in the back because all the polling and all the you know sense of applause at Hustings and so on, there is in the Tory membership a huge, not universal, but a big enough liking of Boris Johnson, which he was still there, that the that you know it's, it's a classic case of he who wields the dagger never wears the crown. And I think the moment Sinak wielded the dagger in retrospect was the moment he lost his contest. I can see that in, in amongst the Tory faithful, but Alva, when you were talking about her performance just now outside Downing Street, you were suggesting that she had made the pivot from speaking to the Tory electorate to the to wider electorate. I mean, allying yourself quite so um, loyally to Boris Johnson as she did. Uh, I mean, it's hardly that, that Johnson himself is tremendously popular with the public. I wonder 
who she thought she was speaking to by, by, by going out of her way to speak of him in those terms. I thought it was interesting that she tried to really deal with facts rather than opinion when she spoke about Boris Johnson there in that speech, though, because really all she said were things that we, well, that none of us here would really dispute, that he got Brexit done. Yes, maybe it's not quite finished for Northern Ireland, but essentially he, you know, he secured a Brexit deal and he passed it through the House of Commons. Um, that then he he was the prime minister during COVID, indisputable as well. He was there, um, did the vaccine rollout, and then he's been instrumental in supporting Ukraine and that he will be a prime minister of great consequence. She didn't really elaborate beyond that which she has done during the campaign. So again, I thought that was interesting. I do think that there's a question as to whether that will handicap her in the future, because I think actually the answer to your your previous question, Alan, which really was sort of tied up in everything that Lara and Peter just said, is that I think, I think she's done really well because she understands the Conservative membership. And really since 2017, she's been tailoring herself to them and and sort of, you know, sort of going over the heads of Tory MPs straight to them and building her support from there. And she understood that the Conservative membership wouldn't stand for it if she resigned from Boris Johnson's cabinet. So she waited. You know, she wasn't any less of a schemer than Rishi Sunak. Those campaigns were being prepared around the same time. Everyone kind of knew it around Westminster. It's just this perception that Rishi knifed Boris in the back that means that she didn't have to deal with that. But I think you know, for now that she's prime minister, the the thing is that the MPs, you know, aren't so supportive of Boris Johnson and over this leadership campaign because she was catering to the Conservative membership. There's been a complete absence of explanation from Liz Truss as to why she thinks Boris Johnson shouldn't be prime minister right now, which doesn't matter in the short term because he's not about to make a comeback. But actually, I think in in, in three months, six months, in a year, if things aren't going well and MPs are starting to say, well, what about bringing Boris Johnson back? Wouldn't he do a better job? Liz Truss has never had a coherent answer for why he shouldn't be still prime minister. And I just wonder, you know, she's never said, well, actually, there was an issue and he had to go. Well, actually, you know, there were, you know, there was you know, the issues around standards in public life. She hasn't done any of that. And she's implied that she disagrees. So I just think, you know, down the down the tracks, I think there's a bit of a problem there. I don't know what what do what do you think? I think I, I yeah I, I I definitely agree. I think it will be a really interesting challenge, and I think what happens with the privileges committee, that committee of MPs who are deciding whether or not Boris Johnson uh, missed at the House, will be one of the real tests for Liz Truss with regards to whether or not she's seen as a kind of continuity uh, Boris candidate. And I think she must be acutely aware of the fact that Boris Johnson is seen to have this very unique electoral uh, appeal that obviously the, uh, you know these MPs who who came in in 2019 are, are very aware with, and and many of them kind of thinking about this when they were deciding whether or not they'd join those 50 plus MPs who who resigned just before Boris Johnson left office. So I think it'll be a real test whether or not uh, Liz Truss backs that uh, privileges committee into uh, investigating Boris Johnson. Obviously, arch Boris Johnson loyalists like Nadine uh, Dorries have been clear to make it They've been very clear about the fact that they oppose that. Uh, so I think that would be a real test uh, for Liz Truss. And I think definitely that kind of shadow of, of Boris Johnson, who's gone, but I don't think anybody expects to go uh, completely quietly or, or to stay quiet. He's he's already said that he'll uh, speak up on issues such as Ukraine that he, that he cares about and is understood to uh, be thinking about uh, those things quite deeply. So I think that would be another really interesting thing to watch uh, over the next few weeks and months. 
Peter, place yourselves in the shoes of Keir Starmer um, uh, today. I mean, if, if Liz Truss comes out with a package that's worth whatever it is, 70 to 100 billion pounds, uh, it's quite difficult to oppose that if you're Keir Starmer, aren't you? It, it would be a highly popular move, and he can't claim that this is spaffing money uh, away. He, I mean, a lot of his attack lines would be undermined, wouldn't they? It certainly presents Keir Starmer with a challenge, but he will clearly say you've at last caught up with what Labour's been proposing, just as happened with the windfall tax earlier. Um, and then I think there'll be the second order issues, which is that you know, some of this money should be paid for by new extra windfall taxes. So I think, the, so I think there are lines of criticism um, from Labour. The other thing that strikes me, if I may, but, um, it, from the briefings you've had in the last few hours, is that the um, government, Liz Truss's plan is to cap the average bill at £2,500, which is above the round numbers £2,000 that is being uh, earmarked for, uh, you know, that we have at the, the moment. The uh, same, because everybody's going to get a £400 rebate, that gets you back to where you are. Well, that's only, the rebate's only for now. So through next year, what she's talking about is a delayed 25% increase in already unusually high energy prices. So I don't think this trust has completely solved the problem. Now, whether Labour can come up with a credible alternative, which doesn't cost the earth, um, is another matter. But I think the, the, the you know, Labour's principal concern is to make sure the Conservatives don't get away with saying everything's now fine, everybody's safe, nobody's going to go bust, um, we're not going to get more, more poverty. Um, and if I were advising Kirstama, which I promise you I'm not, I think my advice would be um, just wait six months, nine months, you know, say things now, keep the, keep the pot um, bubbling over in terms of lines of attack. But the real test of the Conservative policy and the real potential opportunity for Labour will come next spring, next summer, rather than now. And the thing is also just knowing what the Labour Party is like, we know that we can probably expect a bit of a pole bounce for Liz Truss, really because in general there is a bounce for any new Prime Minister that the electorate is willing to give them a chance. So even if it's not huge, you can just imagine the way that the, the Labour Party can be quite knee-jerk about this the second they begin to falter and actually Liz Truss starts to do the thing that they have asked her to do, that in, in a month's time we'll be talking about Keir Starmer's leadership again because Labour MPs will be getting jittery. And, you know, because the, this is just the way Westminster is, people are, are quite short-termist about it and, um, and yeah, and, and quite sensitive to, to jitters, but it's just in the longer term. I think Conservatives know that their big challenge now is being able to prove that they can administer well. There are these challenges that Liz Truss has set herself for example, to clear up waiting lists for GPEs and she'll be judged on, on that performance. So in the longer term, it's probably easier for Labour to mark the card may, of may, Liz Truss. May, may I just, may just tell that I, I mean, historically, you're clearly right. New Prime Ministers normally get a bounce. It may happen this time. And if it does, as you say, then people will be saying maybe Starmer's in trouble. I'm not 
entirely convinced there will be a balance. I mean, we have seen what's happened to Truss's ratings with the general public over the last six weeks. Uh, they've gone from mediocre to bad. The comparative figures for when Boris Johnson first became Prime Minister, uh, she's in a rather worse state than um, he was. Um, so, you know, I, I would put it 50-50. You know, one scenario is a month from now, there'll be a Tory bounce and there'll be jitters on the Labour benches. But the other possibility, and I'd say I'd give it a, the other 50% chance, is there won't be a Tory bounce and the Tory benches will enter their conference in a rather nervous state because they don't get a bounce. Well, what's subsequently going to help this trust appeal to the public? Lara, what does this mean for the environment? I mean, again, there have been so many straws in the wind over the last few weeks about what this means for you know reopening North Sea reserves, for fracking, for scrapping the green levy, for shelving the net zero targets. Are we right to feel fearful about uh, all this, especially if you've got Rhys Mogg in, in, in charge of um, uh, business? So I think that was the main news for those who are fearful about this today was this idea that Jacob Rees-Mogg alongside being in the business brief would also have oversight of this uh, extremely kind of vital brief. I mean, it's important to note that obviously this still remains, even with the energy crisis and the war in Ukraine, one of the most important priorities for voters. And I do think that those around the table with Liz Truss will retain a sensitivity and awareness to that. But it will be interesting to see the tension between uh, this question of long-term energy supply and security and the climate play out, because obviously those who are worried about uh, the climate will make the very important and correct point that uh, you, still need to, <laughs> you still need to obviously uh, address the climate crisis and that the two absolutely aren't mutually uh, exclusive. But I think it will be, you will definitely see some climate uh, skeptics, a number of whom will, will be a kind of closer to the Liz Truss administration, arguably, than they had been to Boris Johnson's administration. Boris Johnson famously did want to champion this or had made a point of, of thinking that the kind of, you know, COP26, etc., was part of his personal brand and style of leadership. We haven't seen that with Liz Truss yet, although it was, it was interesting in light of what Alva said as to whether or not this pivot from the membership to the voters will see something slightly different on the climate. Obviously, we don't know the full details of that yet. But what we do know, as you've just said, is that Liz Truss uh, kind of absolutely not an opponent of stuff like fracking. I think you are likely to see that if she if she doesn't care about it, she will probably frame it uh, by way of uh, long-term energy security and the idea that delivering kind of more reliable forms of energy, in her opinion, might well be to the detriment of, of those who care about the climate and addressing this with a more urgent footing. So that will be, as you say, a very interesting thing to watch. And I think you'd be very hard pressed to find anybody who thinks that the coming of Liz Truss uh, marks a very, very positive coming for those who care deeply about the environment and our progress towards those climate goals. Alvin, knowing what we know about the the shape of the cabinet and we, we've certainly got the we seem to have the main bones uh, in in place and um it, it said that the, that the whole thing is sort of done and dusted so we're, we're not going to have the usual protracted comings and goings what does the cabinet say about her prime ministership and uh her, her relationship to the, the right or the left of, of the tory party if there is still such a thing is it going to seem well, fresh or is it going to seem like a lot of familiar old faces? 
Well, I think that Nadine Dorries and Priti Patel have really done Liz Truss a favour by resigning today and Nigel Adams as well to a lesser extent because it means that the look will be a little bit different to, to Boris Johnson's time, even though she did offer Nadine Dorries culture secretary again. And I think that it has been a priority of Truss and her team to keep Boris Johnson and his, and his allies on side, at least for now. Um, this is very much a cabinet of the right um, lots of people who who share Liz Truss's views that they you know they believe in freedom, deregulation, low taxes, um, but in a climate where they aren't necessarily going to be very free to do those things. I think that the probably the immediate challenge, well, in terms of the in terms of party management. There's obviously this balance to be struck between Boris Johnson's allies and reaching out across the party. We are expecting like Tom Tugendhat to be in the cabinet as a bone to um, people, you know, on the One Nation wing of the Conservative Party. But a, a Tory was was sort of pointing out to me this afternoon that really Liz Truss had to shore up her support among the ERG to get to where she is, and she really used the Northern Ireland Protocol Bill as a way of of proving to them over a period of months that she she was their person and that they could back her. But it's really unlikely that she'll be able to please them. Ultimately, she probably is going to have to reach some sort of compromise with Europe on the Northern Ireland Protocol. So quite quickly, she's going to have to shaft the people who really helped to get her in. Um, and whether they stick with her, I think, is not, is not completely certain. Or that's definitely the view among some senior Tories who... Who take quite a balanced view of it that like that how she manages the ERG is a bit of a tricky one. Peter, perhaps you could pick up on that point that Alva was talking about that 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 Liz Truss was considered to be a, almost a hostage to the ERG. How easy is it going to be for her to to escape that without terminally? causing huge rifts and more terrible infighting in the in the party i think i was i was analysis is is spot on if trusts were to feel the need to jettison the erg over let us say the northern ireland protocol to take the most obvious example that would be difficult but it seems to me there's a sort of prior question alan which is um what does trust actually herself believing if anything is you know, I, I've not heard the words trussism or, or some variant of it mentioned. Um, you know, she likes to emulate Margaret Thatcher. Well, Thatcherism had a clear meaning. You know, we knew at the time what she stood for. Um, and it's not clear to me whether Liz Truss, on things like climate change and, 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 and fracking and energy and so on, whether she has a particular deeply held view about climate change, which is really different from Boris Johnson's, or whether she's, it's simply a political matter as to what policy does she pursue now in order to keep her party together and to help her win the next election. Um, now, in an odd way, I rather hope that she has very few deeply held views, because if she does held, hold deeply held views, then it seems to me these are likely to need not just to bad climate and energy decisions, but to bad economic decisions, turbulence, <coughs> turbulence in the markets, and uh, a potential economic crash for the country. I'm sure that even as we speak, 
right people in the treasury are basically writing um, memos which very politely say, make the sums add up. Um, now, I hope she's flexible and, if you like, political enough to take notice of this advice. Because if she is as ideological as she's been sounding over the last few weeks, then I think we're in for a pretty torrid time. My hope is this uh, pre presentation of ideology has been in order to win the party leadership, not a reflection of very, very deeply held, very, very right-wing opinions. And there's a, just a hole at the centre of this podcast, which I just want to niggle away at before we before we end, which is I, I asked each of you in a different way what explains the fact that Liz Truss is where she is today, and you've all elegantly sidestepped the question. And it, I think it's a bit of a mystery because Peter's sort of speculated whether there is such a thing as Trussism. It, it's quite difficult to pin down um, a, a consistent pattern of beliefs. I heard Ian Duncan Smith at lunchtime talking about her toughness. But but I mean, Lara, I'll come to you first. Um, what is it that we're missing that explains her sudden meteoric rise that other people have spotted? I think it's probably this point of flexibility and the fact that uh, Liz Truss has shown a level of collegiality over the past years since she joined the cabinet that I think really marks her out from uh, her colleagues. She's managed to change positions uh, on a number of issues, uh, kind of, I think, very strategically well to the extent that it hasn't tarnished her to the point of being able to reach, uh, obviously, the highest office in the land. I think if you look at uh, the kind of most important question, I think, for the next election will be retaining that 2019 Conservative coalition. Uh, if you look at the most recent evidence, quite uh, about a third of those, over a third of those, according to a recent uh, CPS report, are those kind of leave voting, economically precarious voters, half of whom would struggle very much to meet an immediate bill of £100. I think that illustrates just how important uh, to the voters that this trust needs to win this this package and the kind of ongoing cost of living uh, support and response will be to whether or not she can retain that. And I do think this this ability for her to seemingly uh, kind of park ideological positions and put practical political ones ahead of that does does speak to why she's had such an appeal and has been able to pull through on this. That, that's tremendously clarifying. Lara, what, what's, your, what's your answer to that question, uh, Alva? So I actually, again, politely disagree that I think that Liz Truss has a great deal of ideological clarity about her and has has really just become more confident in showing that as time has gone on. I think the answer to, you know, how has she risen this way is that she's incredibly ambitious and that she learns from her mistakes and and then sort of on top of that, she has this quite instinctive understanding of the Conservative membership. So I think, you know, you look at her career and every cabinet job that she's had, she has very nearly been fired. There have been rumours that, um, that she's for the axe. And even, you know, if you remember after the 2017 general election, Theresa May was at a really low ebb having lost the majority. But she still felt in, in a position to demote Liz Truss such, you know, so low was Liz Truss's political capital at that point. And I think after that demotion, those close to Liz Truss would say that she tried to learn from Corbyn, essentially, and sort of looked at what he had done well, what hadn't worked for her sort of her terrible pork market speech, and really just decided to be her party's happy warrior, because those were quite tough times during Brexit. 
she sort of appealed to the conservative membership she was making a case for free markets and sort of just brought some optimism not dissimilar to Boris Johnson and was just kind of quietly trucking away slowly becoming the conservative membership's most sort of most popular politician and I think she was doing that by sticking to you know on things like climate I agree with Peter we don't exactly know what her instincts are but really for a very long time even though she had a sort of blip around backing Remain really since her university days she's just believed in freedom and that has you know that has sort of manifested differently and she sort of by the by the end of her time at Oxford had moved from the Lib Dems to the Conservatives but she just believes in sort of freedom for individuals to make their own choices to do what they want with their own money was doing that you know from the 90s the whole way through and I think it's actually that consistency and then just sort of selling that to the Tory members is what has has made her a success whatever people make of that and whether that will work in Downing Street I think that that's that's really why she's why she's done so well and and she's been working on it for a very long time it hasn't really come from from nowhere Liz Trust my debt to Jeremy Corbyn this is an article I'd, I'd like to commission um uh, it actually was a. Uh, it was acted by right. Stephen but Stephen Bush. It was, I believe, quite well sourced from um, those close to trust. I think, yeah, she really did learn from Jeremy Corbyn in 2017. Well, look, th- thank you, Alva. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Lara, for, for joining us. Thank you all for tuning in to listen to us. There's a new edition of Prospect about to hit the streets, which leads on the possibility of uh, serious trouble on the streets and asking the question what would it take what kind of failure of politics would it take for people to take to the streets so grab a copy of that or look online and we'll see you next week for our regular podcast on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns